This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I just want to say, seeing that you know now how long we've been married, don't waste your time trying to find out how old I am, okay? Uh, you'll never guess. <laughs> oh, is he offering a new offering? Oh, okay, start with me, brother. Yes, I was so blessed to, uh, we spent about 22 years in the Ukraine, and to see my interpreter here this morning, Luda, uh, oh, there she is, she was with us for so many years, and we've had such wonderful, wonderful experiences there, and our mission did so well until a burki from South Africa came and stole her away from us. And the mission has never been the same. Luda, it was wonderful to see you in Dirk. Uh, may the Lord bless you. This morning when uh, Delisa and I were on our way, we got some frantic calls and uh, WhatsApps say that there's a cycle race on and uh, the roads will be stopped and we might not reach Stellenbosch in time. So I said to my wife, I'm, I'm sure it's today and this other sister is so afraid that they might be, that they'd have to preach here this morning if we didn't show up. So uh, we're thankful to be here and we had no holdups along the way. Can we just pray? Father God, I pray that we will not just be hearers of your word, but become doers of your word. We've come here this morning to be changed, not just to be blessed. Lord, we pray for the city of Stellenbosch. And wherever your word is preached this morning, that work of eternal value will be done in the hearts of your people. Now, the title of our message is Rebuilding the Altar of God. If I had said prayer, then I bet some woman would have nudged her husband and said, oh, darling, you know what? I should have listened to you. We should have gone to Tarotanga Junction this morning with the kids. Because prayer is such a boring subject. But if you will think of Uncle Angus's slogan, it is time. It is time. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then God will do the rest. Just imagine, my brothers and sisters, the time that we are living in. Surely, 
we should recognize by now that we are living in the very end times. Should we rather be talking more to God than talking to one another? Because Jesus is repairing, preparing his church for his return. And spending time with him, listening to God and talking to him is part of his preparation of his bride. Luke 11 verse 1 says, When one of Jesus' disciples requested, Lord, teach us to pray, none of the others objected. No one walked away saying, Oh, please, not a teaching on prayer. Amen. I've got prayer figured out. Followers of Jesus needed prayer guidance. In fact, the only tutorial that they ever requested was on prayer. They could have asked for instructions on how to multiply a bread and fish, how to prepare a good sermon, how to still a storm, or turning water into wine, walking on water, or raising the dead. Or what about, Lord, please invite us to you next school of the supernatural. Uh, most of us would have loved to attend that. But prayer, that's a schlep. That's hard work. His followers never asked for any one of these. But they did ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Might their interest have been something to do with the jaw-dropping, eye-popping promises Jesus promised to prayer? Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and he will be given to you. Matthew 21, 22. If you believe, you will get anything you ask for in prayer. Jesus never attached any power to any other, uh, such power to any other endeavors. He never said, plan and it will be given to you. Or you will get anything you work for. Some people quote, God helps those who help themselves. These words are not in the Bible, but these are. John 15, 7. If you remain in me and follow my teachings, you can ask anything you want and it will be given to you. Now ask yourselves, my brothers and sisters, why are some of our prayers not answered? Jesus gave stunning promises, prayer promises, and he set a compelling example. Jesus prayed before he ate. He prayed for children. He prayed for the sick. He prayed with thanks, and he prayed with tears. He who had made the planets and formed the stars, yet he prayed. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, Jesus constantly went out to pray with his disciples, and they saw the change when he came back after praying. He was bold, he had authority, and they saw the results, and they asked him to teach them to pray. When you pray, not if, he expects everyone all of us to pray. It is compulsory. It is not optional. Because relationship is maintained only by communication. Communicating with our Father through prayer. He teaches us not, not, uh, how not to pray. He commands us 
you shall not be like the hypocrites, pretenders. The same, uh, the same Greek word that is used for actors. In those days, the actors wore masks. They were two-faced. And God hates that. Now, my brothers and sisters, what is the secret behind effective prayer? It is the use of the authority entrusted to a believer. Firstly, prayer is something that happens only on this side of heaven. It is something for which man has to take the initiative. Man pleads, God gives. Man knocks, God opens. Man asks, and God answers. The initiative rests with you and me. Secondly, prayer operates in the realms of God's self-imposed limitations. There are areas where God, for reasons unknown to us, chose to limit his options and consequently his actions of freedom. It is his freedom of action. Now, one of these areas is preaching the gospel. God has determined the gospel will only be preached by man. God could have done a much better job than you and I. Angels cannot do it either. A classical example is the example of Cornelius in Acts 10 verse 1. God sent an angel to talk to Cornelius. But all the angel was allowed to do was to give Cornelius and a name and address of a preacher, namely Peter. It took a man to preach the gospel to another man. This is the way God ordained it. Another area, area where God establishes restrictions is prayer. He determined that certain things will happen only in answer to prayer. Now James 4 verse 2 says, You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Psalm 2 verse 8. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as inheritance. My brothers and sisters, and this is what makes prayer so central to fulfillment of the Great Commission. There are only two criteria by which you can de determine the strength and efficacy of your church and your own spiritual power and strength in the kingdom of God. We cannot boast about our strength and effectiveness because of our fantastic praise and worship, no matter how necessary that is. We cannot boast about our fantastic teaching or preaching or our high tithes and offerings, or our wonderful entertaining programs, the size of our congregation, or our tithes and offerings. Your power and effectiveness can only be tested or measured by, firstly, how effective is your own personal prayer life and the corporate prayer life of your church. Secondly, how effective are you in evangelism and missions? 
these two are truly a reflection, firstly, of your love for God, and secondly, your love and concern for the lost. Now, that was just the introduction. Now, I want to discuss some practical issues that the devil uses to cause our prayer life to become weak, ineffective, and boring. Yet this is one of the mightiest weapons God has given us to live a victorious Christian life. Yet it has become one of the most neglected weapons. I will try and make this as practical as possible. My first scripture is Genesis 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for the purpose. Noah had recognized and had experienced the judgment of God on this earth. But now a new day had dawned. Building an altar was Noah's first move to pour out to Jehovah praise and thanksgiving. He offered burnt offerings to go before the Lord. Sometimes we have to secure what God has given us or done for us by building an altar so that we don't forget. We so easily criticize the uh, Israelites when they moved out of uh, Egypt, they saw all those wonderful miracles that God had done for them, and yet they started complaining and complaining again afterwards, discontented. Abraham also built an altar. Gideon had to pull down the altar built by his forefathers and build a new one, which he called Jehovah Shalom. Now, I was born and bred in the little country of Swaziland. Now, in the African culture where I grew up, they understand so well the importance of an altar. Now, I'm talking about many years ago. Their houses were built in such a way, you know, those thatch-roofed round, they, 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 they looked like igloo, uh, igloos, Eskimo houses, those round uh, thatch uh, uh, buildings. They were built in such a way, the door was so low that you had to bow down and virtually on your knees crawl into this house. And the first thing that you saw directly in front of you in this house, especially in the house of a Sangoma or a witch doctor, was an altar. And that is where they displayed all their articles of witchcraft and objects of worship. They make sure that the altar speaks to you. You are forced to bow down before these altars when you enter their homes. And there are so many altars today and they all want us to bow down to them. So altars are very, very important. Exodus 30 verse 1. In this scripture, God gives Moses the exact details, the plan for the incense, incense altar. But he ends his instructions in verse 6. He says these words. I will meet with you there. And Luda will remind me, the Russian Bible puts it so beautiful. It says, there I will open my heart to you. Note the importance of an altar. 
It is a meeting place. And you and I will never arrive at the meeting place and find that God is not there. Verse 7. Every morning when Aaron maintains or services the lamps, he must burn fragrant incense on the altar. Verse 8. And each more evening when he lights the lamps, he must again burn incense. This must be done from, from generation to generation. This is God saying, build me an altar. And he gives all the direct, uh, dimensions and details of how it should be built. Now listen carefully. He says, on this altar, there shall be a perpetual fire, a evadirende fear. And Aaron the priest was going to be in charge of this altar. Make sure there is a fire on this altar. Every morning when you wake up, feed and fan this fire. And every evening before retiring, you should you have to build or feed that fire. The priest was in charge of the altar. And all over the world, wherever you go where they worship idols, they have to have an altar. That's very important. They have to connect. It is a meeting place, a place of sacrifice. A place where you meet with your God and a place where you need to bring praise and worship. An altar is a very amazing place, my brothers and sisters. That is why there is so much spiritual warfare when it comes to an altar. For the devil knows that if the priest knows that his altar is in order, then he, and functioning properly, then he, the devil, is in big trouble. So what will you find? Brothers, and I'm especially speaking to you as a priest of your home, is that the devil will fight you tooth and nail to make sure that you don't service your altar. The Bible tells us that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And in every temple, there is an altar. So you have an altar in you. The problem is that this altar has to have 24 hours. 24 hours, there has to be fire on it. Which means that this morning, before you came here, you must have serviced your altar. That means you must have brought some sacrifice, prayed to God, worshipped Him, read His Word. Because from your sacrifice in the morning, the whole day there will be fire on you. And the evening before going to sleep, you will make sure that the fire will continue to burn. Now some of us, when you come into the presence, you immediately recognize there is no fire. Only the ashes of a fire that burned three or five days ago. Amen. But some of us, our altars have not been serviced for a long time. And that is why there is such tremendous spiritual warfare where there is a sacrifice. For the devil knows if this woman or this child or this man communicates with God in heaven, he, the devil, will be in trouble. So he will try everything to destroy you and will do all his power to see that your altar is not functioning properly. Genesis 15 verse 11. 
Some vultures swoop down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. Another version says, And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now, Abraham was preparing something to sacrifice. And the Bible says the vultures came down to contaminate the very sacrifice that Abraham was to present to the Lord. So Abram drove them away. Why? Because if the vultures came, they would contaminate the sacrifice that God, God was to receive. This is one of the areas, my brothers and sisters, where God really has to help us. The sacrifice that you are about to sacrifice to the Lord, the devil wants to contaminate it every time. Now, I find that I get attacked most of the time when I take up this book. The Bible, the Word of God. When I try to read it, within one chapter, I find my eyes closing, my mind wandering, and my head nodding. But give me the Sunday slimes, or a Heisboles, or a Louis Lemur Western, and I'll read it from cover to cover, and no vulture will come near me. But the moment I take hold of that book, the vultures are there. Why do you think they come? Maybe it only happens to me, or am I in good company? Ah. Oh. Sometimes when I pray, leaning on my bed and praying, then I find myself going to sleep on my knees. The vultures have come. Why are they so intent in stopping me? Then you think, how long have I been praying? What did I pray? Uh, they've just robbed me of my prayers. We need to be like Abraham. Drive away the vultures. Out in Jesus' name. Now I've become a little wiser. And... Uh, when I feel that I want to fall asleep while praying, I get up and I start walking up and down. I pray while walking because the vultures are no respecter of people. They don't care whether you're an apostle, a bishop, or a pastor. That is why I like to sit next to my wife in a church meeting. Now, Luda will uh, identify with me. Then the Ukraine, now and then we would visit a uh, very traditional Pentecostal church right out in the, in the Platteland. And usually they have about five preachers preaching that morning. And there's one time I was number seven. And my whole duty was to keep the people awake again. Uh, so my wife knows me very well that by the fifth preacher when I close my eyes, and she pumps me in the ribs because she knows me very well. But now, of course, if I would sit next to you and I would close my eyes, you would think, ah, oh, the man of God is meditating. Eh? <laughs> but in the meantime, it is a vulture. Listen, my brothers and sisters, we need a vulture-free altar. We have to rise up. For some of us, the vultures are there every day. For the vultures know if the sacrifice is not contaminated today, the devil will be in trouble.
So you see these vultures. It is so amazing that there is more spiritual warfare on the altar than every, anywhere else. I wake up early in the morning and start preparing the altar. I try to be biblical, so I close the door and I start praying and praying. Next moment I hear, grr, grr, is the telephone ringing. I hear my wife pick up the phone and then I hear her footsteps coming down the passage. Someone on the phone for you. Who is it? I don't know. You come and talk to him. So I go to the phone. Oh, Harry, it's you. Yeah, it was a great game, man. It's a pity we lost that, that blast, that ref. Uh, Harry, do you mind if I just phone you back just now? I go back and I start praying again. Another knock. Who is it? It's my son. I need money for school. Ask your mother. She never has any money. Please give me some money. So I get up and I give her the money. Give him the money. Not realizing these are all vultures. The vultures will come through your relatives, your husband, your wife, through anybody, even through your pastor. Why do phones ring when I am on my knees? All this time the phone did not ring once. Why? Because I wasn't praying. But the moment you go on your knees, the vultures come. May God help us. There is spiritual warfare on the altar. The sacrifice you are about to lay on the altar, the devil wants to contaminate it. We need to lock ourselves up. Switch off the cell phone. Unplug the house phone. My brother and sister, what is more important than the altar? Just imagine. You have an audience with the Queen of England. You're speaking to, and all of a sudden your cell phone rings. Will you say, Queenie, excuse me one second, I've got to take this call. But while praying, the cell phone rings. We excuse ourselves and we pick up the phone. Even in church meetings, when the cell phone rings, somebody will go and rush out because he doesn't want to miss this call. My brothers and sisters, most of us, when we wake up in the morning, we have a long list of a thousand things that have to be done. This and this I have not done yet. And this is so important. These things have to wait until I have serviced my altar. Listen carefully. The altar is going to determine my destiny. If my altar is not serviced, I am in trouble. And I have to make sure that the altar is my priority number one. My brothers, listen. If you do not keep the vultures away from your altar, you will not be able to communicate with God. Maybe a hurried, one-way conversation at the best. But God will not be able to download the things that He wanted you to have. He will not be able to give you your assignment. I pray that God will help us to deal with the altars. How much Bible reading did you do this morning? Some of us read the newspaper before we read the Bible. Some of us know the names of every play in the Springbok team 
and how we criticize them and all that kind of thing. Yet we do not know the name of all the disciples or even the books of the New Testament. This altar is so important. Don't dare to minister to other people without first visiting your altar. This is very common. Some of us just skip the altar and we try to use the fire that was there three to five days ago. God wants us to repair the altar of the Lord that is broken in your life. And even in this meeting, the vultures, vultures will come and try and steal and keep your mind busy on other things instead of being focused on the word. For instance, a cell phone rings. It's a vulture. And sisters, those big bags of yours with them, many zips. Somewhere that thing is there and you can never find it in which zip you... you that bag of yours, you carry a potential vulture to church. Or the children's church came out but sooner. And a beautiful, cute little girl runs down the passage and she shouts something funny to her mom. Not the best preacher on earth can compete with this little girl for your attention. She's cute and beautiful, but still a little vulture. I, uh, I'm reminded of uh, one of our, uh, my, my, my uh, fellow missionaries in, uh, in the Ukraine, uh, Carol Hedgepath. She was telling us, we were, when we were talking about this uh, subject, she was telling us that uh, in their church, uh, one morning, there was this little boy. He was just impossible, impossible. And he was up and down, and his mom would try and pacify him, but eventually she couldn't stand it any longer. And you know those movements when mom just comes with measured steps and she grabs him down the waist. Now he's hanging here and she's walking with us. And he knows, of course, that the moment they leave the door, she's going to spank him. So when he got to the door, he grabbed the post of the door and he shouted, please pray for me. <laughs> now, that was the end of the service. Whatever the pastor tried to say, everybody just kept on laughing. And that was, that was a big vulture in a small body, eh? These vultures know every trick in the book. In the morning when you, like this morning, when you want to get out of bed to pray, the vulture will come and whisper, Oh, no, man, it's too cold. Why don't you just pray in bed? Now, that's a very common vulture. <laughs> Their aim is to make sure you don't service your altar. They make sure that you only do a shabby job at the altar. Lord, remember me today. Think of my wife. Just be with my kids. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that you sent that uh, installment on the car. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs> The demons of sleep, we must put them under our feet for they know that as soon as you start servicing your altar, they are in big trouble. How is it possible that some people especially come to church to sit and sleep? 
You see one over there, and another one over there, and another, yeah, yeah, another one over there. And, uh, but after this service, they are well-rested and the most active members. How are you? Praise the Lord. Come on, can I serve you with coffee or tea? Another interesting uh, factor. The moment you decide to, dis- to service your altar, you pick a quarrel with your wife. Mm. Then you get to your altar and God says to you, Matthew 5, 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. God is saying, I appreciate your gift, but leave it there and first go and sort things out with your wife. And you think, how do I sort things out with this woman? She started started this argument. It is difficult, brothers, but for the sake of the altar, you have to do something. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Don't go to bed with anger. God will not answer your prayers. You don't always have to be wrong to say, I'm sorry. What is more important? Uh, My brothers and sisters, my wife and I used to do this I remember now I said I, we used to, not anymore. After 57 years, we've come a bit wiser. We don't do it anymore. But when my wife and I uh, used to have an argument, or like I prefer to say, a moment of intense fellowship, <laughs> then uh, we go to bed. And, uh, of course, she gets to the bed and she grabs the uh, one end of the blanket and she pulls it over her and she lies right on the edge of the bed. I get on the other side and I grab the same blanket and I put it on this side of me, this side of the bed, and I just say, "Tengt dukhe span." I come back, and of course I know tonight there's no fuki fuki, eh? But now we men forget so easy, so, so quickly, and during the night, then I just shift up and I put my arm around her and she flings it out, and not knowing that the whole night she was waiting for just this very moment. Now, when I wake up in the morning and I, being a good charismatic, I get up to service my altar, having forgotten that I went to bed with anger. Oh, Lord, you are my father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I can call you Abba. The God interrupts. Please, man, you are just making a lot of noise. That woman there, you need to go and sort it out with her. And because I need that altar, I need to communicate with God. But first, I have to make peace with my wife. There are three very important altars in our lives. First one is the personal altar, your personal altar. You alone all by yourself, have a personal altar. 
And this altar must be serviced before you go anywhere. Don't come here and play guitar or whatever instrument or do announcements or be a good usher or serve wherever. Not before you have serviced your altar. Second one is the family altar. Some of us, our family altars are in total ruins, in disrepair. And we say, brother, but I haven't got the time, I'm so busy. You know what Martin, Martin Luther said? He says, I have so much to do that I spend the first three hours in prayer. John Bunyan said, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Satan does, another one said, Satan does not care how many uh, people uh, read about prayer or attend prayer seminars, only if he can keep them from praying. Because now the devil has succeeded because he makes sure you have no time. Let me ask you, we have 24 hours a day. We know that in 24 hours there are so many things that need our attention. We are being kept so busy. Your wife and children need your attention. Your computer needs your attention. Your friends need your attention. Your TV needs your attention. Your job, your sports or recreation. And your cell phone. B-U-S-Y. Busy. Being under Satan's yoke. But this is an issue of priority. And God needs your attention. And you can't even find time to allocate time to God. And the devil is very good at keeping you busy. So my brothers and sisters, if God gives us 24 hours, why don't we at least tithe our time? Which means every day, 2 hours, 40 minutes belongs to God. How you distribute that time is up to you. And the rest of the time is for all these other things that you have to do. Yet most of us can't even find half an hour to serve as our altar, to speak to our God. And this is the most important place where we can transact things. Everything that is a problem for you can be solved right here, even before you leave your house. By the time you get off your knees, favor is following you, and things just fall into place. Why? Because you have serviced your altar. The family altar is of the utmost importance. Someone said, said, when you open the word of God, you open God's mouth to speak to you. Brothers, how often do you pray with your wife? At the family altar, you discuss things that are needed or things that are wrong in the family, and then every member prays about it. My wife and I have witnessed miracles in our own home. Healings. Oh, I'm going to just tell you one, one little funny one. Uh, my son, my eldest son is about 16 or 17 years old. And he wanted a motorbike. I said, over my dead body. Never, ever. So his mom tried to pacify him. She said to him, if you find a scripture uh, about a motorbike, then bring it. Maybe that will soften your father's heart. So... Off he went, and a few days later, he said, I've got my scripture. It was 
having the, the, the living Bible. He shows this uh, somewhere in the Old Testament. It says, And all the king's men mounted their royal horses and drove off at high speed. <laughs> and can you believe it? Within a week, a pastor friend of mine phoned me. He says, Johnny, I just want to bounce this off. I had a dream. And in this dream, God told me to give my son's motorbike to your son. Oh, well, so we went and loaded the motorbike. So he got his motorbike. How is your family altar? Maybe your personal altar is good, but the family altar is full of vultures and in ruin. If you are not married, then praise the Lord, because some of us have double trouble. Some of us have to get up early in the morning, service my own personal altar, then the family altar, and then get dressed and uh, breakfast and then off to work. And the third one is the, the last one is the, the community altar, which is this one, the church service. This altar is very important for us. But let us not all rush to this altar when the other altars, the personal and the family altar, is in disrepair. We need, first of all, to service these two altars and then come and service the community altar. My prayer is that all your altars will be prepared. If you are ministering to other people who have but have neglected your personal altar, it will be best to stop just right there and go and repair your altar first. Christianity, which is not practiced at home, is not Christianity at all. You can't tell me that you are a Christian because you attend church services and prayer meetings. Here we all look so holy and so beautiful, but I need to come to your house to see. Uh, then I'll be able to tell whether you are a Christian or not. Whatever you are at home is what you will bring to the community altar. In Acts 21, we read about Philip the evangelist. He had four daughters who prophesied. People saw and knew that there was power in that house. You must bring your gifts to the church meetings, the community altar. 1 Kings 18.30 says, Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. You can repair your altar, your personal, family, and community altar. Most of us come to church meetings and we have nothing to offer. We only come to receive. More knowledge? That's not what God intended for the preaching of his word. Many people come to church expecting assignments to come from the pastor. The pastor is not the one who assigns you. He can confirm whatever the Lord has told you to do. He can confirm whether it's from God or not, or whether it's the right time or not. But you need to go to the altar, and God will speak to you and tell you what you are supposed to do. Don't miss your assignment. My brothers and sisters, don't miss your daily assignment. When last did God send you on an assignment? Assignments come from the altar. So many examples from scriptures. First Kings 13, And the Lord commanded a man from Judah and said to him, Go to Bethel. 
What made him leave Judah? The word of the Lord. Go to Bethel and start prophesying. Philip was preaching in, in Samaria. The Lord tells him, go to the desert. You'll find a man on a chariot. You'll find, get into this uh, chariot. This is your assignment. Is this not the number one reason why Christianity has become so boring for some Christians? Just keep attending church meetings and attending prayer meetings and nothing else happens in my life. It's because we do not receive new assignments anymore. Some of us received assignments years ago, but have not come back to the altar to receive new instructions. When you have completed your assignment, then you come back for your new assignment. God has a divine purpose for each one of us. At such and such a time, you are here because I want you to move there. Now, if he does not find you at the place where he is supposed to find you, we miss our prophetic destiny. I do not want to miss my prophetic destiny because I have not prepared or serviced my altar. Acts uh, 9, I'm finishing. The Lord strikes Saul with a blinding light. Saul is taken to Damascus. The Lord gives Ananias an assignment. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. God knows your address. God wants to do the same for you and me. Of course, your altar is not just by kneeling down. Whenever uh, uh, you are driving your car, of course, I, I, I will uh, uh, recommend that you open, keep your eyes open. Uh, when you're driving your car, that's where the Bible says, pray without ceasing. You can communicate with God anytime. God is looking for people he can send anywhere at any time. But if you are not attentive... Every time God tries to get to some people, most of the time they are not available. Today I want you to connect and say, Lord, here I am. Speak to me and send me wherever you want me to go. The prisons, the next door neighbor, the sick at the hospital. Maybe I must just make a phone call. He wants you to, to, to send you now. He says, you are my legs, my mouth, my hands. Go and do my work. You see, my brothers, and sisters, God did not place you on this earth to notice him only once or twice in your whole life. He did not create you to constantly miss out on the wonder of his presence and power. The truth is, you and I were born to live a supernatural life, doing God's work by God's power. You were born to walk out of your, of, of your house every morning and uh, believing that God will use you to deliver a necessary miracle today. Because you've had a meeting with God. The eye of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is loyal, fully committed to him. God is looking to and fro throughout the whole earth for people who are loyal to him. Why? So that he can reveal his supernatural power in their lives. God is actively looking for loyal partners, people who consistently care about what he cares about. God wants to download his assignments daily to us, but mostly we are not at our meeting place. Do not neglect your altars. Keep the fires burning on them 24 hours a day. If they are in disrepair, in Jesus' name, repair them and become an active co-worker of Jesus Christ.
I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up. I want us to do a small practical. Sort out three or four of you together. We're going to pray. Now listen, uh, Ludas, I see Ludas not here anymore. When I go to a Russian church or a Ukrainian church and I say to them, let us pray. All of them either hit the ground or they pray out loud. And they will not stop until I say amen. They know how to pray. The only silent prayer that I have found is with Akana's wife, Hannah, uh, and, uh, uh, who was praying for God for her uh, son. The high priest at that time, Eli, uh, he saw her lips move and he thought that she was drunk. So prayer is not silent. Still to date, quiet time. Niemand, this love Imagine a quiet fellowship. I visit you sitting there without saying a word, trying to communicate with you through my thoughts. Now, turn to one another, and we're going to have a popcorn prayers. Okay, just one sentence each, uh, and I'll, I'll read out the, 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 the topics for you. Turn, turn to one another quickly. But you are, you're going to pray aloud. Don't be put off by the people, next, the group next to you. We're going to pray out loud. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.